0: I want to encourage you with this message called God in the Nations Part 2. And I want to tell you about two elections that went horribly wrong. I'm not going to be talking about this week's election. Um, I will tell you that our country needs to be supported by Christians. We, we as Christians need to pray for the division for the conflicts that we're seeing in our in our nation. And uh, whether you won or lost this election um, this week, whichever side of that you land on, you really want unity in our country, and we want to return to the values of love and fellowship for one another. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask uh, Gabe, if you'll turn those house lights up, that'd be great. Um, thanks for doing that. That way you all can take notes as needed. There's not a lot of notes today, but I want to talk to you about two elections that went horribly, horribly wrong. And uh, the first one uh, takes place way back in the Old Testament, in uh, the book of First Samuel. If you want to turn to First Samuel chapter eight. You can follow along with some of this. I'd love for you to keep a physical Bible with you. I know we put verses on the screen for you now, which which gives you the freedom to not bring your Bible. And I know we, you have electronic Bibles. I like those too. I actually have multiple, and I'll preach. For, I'm learning to preach from my tablet. I do have a backup set of notes, so when my tablet freezes. You don't have to go home, <laughs> so um, I had that happen at camp one time, so I'm very conscious that tablets don't always do what you want them to do, um, so I always have a backup set of notes somewhere on stage with me, but I do like you to have a physical Bible. You can make notes in it. Let me tell you something that's important. Uh, my older brother has done this with his family when he passed away a few years ago. He had several Bibles that he's had all through his lifetime and took lots of notes in them, and he shared those with his children so we have the we have bibles with his handwriting where he's taken notes under sermons that he sat under and all the truths that went with that so if you have a physical bible and take notes in the side margins and highlight things and and make notes it's really awesome because it's something that can be passed down to another generation a little harder to do with an electronic version by the way or a phone um but would encourage you to 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 do that and as you turn to first samuel 8 i'll just remind you in the early days of israel God was their leader, their ruler. He actually, through Moses, rescued them out of Egypt. And all the things that it took to get them out of Egypt were absolutely miraculous. You remember that whole scene, if you have any recollection of the Old Testament history, that whole scene where God, Moses kept saying, God says, let my people go, And, and Pharaoh said, no, no, no. And then Pharaoh said, yes, after a while, because God said, seriously, seriously. Let my people go, and there's all these plagues and all these miracles, and then then Israel went on this journey that ended up dead-ending at the Red Sea, and and they had to cross the Red Sea. They crossed it on dry land, uh, which is a, a miracle itself. And then Pharaoh's army is you know completely covered up by that. There's archaeological evidence today, by the way, of chariot wheels on the bottom of that piece of land where where the the Israelite army or the Israelite nation crossed. There's archaeological evidence that there's chariot wheels underneath that part of the ocean, or that part of the sea right there. They found pictures of it. Some great stuff you can look up online and, and uh, um, Discovery, um, the, the Christian, not Discovery Channel, but there's a Christian ministry called Discovery, and uh, they have a bunch of great videos out on that. You should show your kids all that because it just affirms everything that was was in the scriptures. There, um, the evidence is right there in, in the archaeological finds. So. But in, in that time period, Israel saw lots of miracles. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because their hearts were were struggling to be loyal. God raised up a whole nother generation of loyal Christians in that process, loyal followers um, in, within His people. And those people um, marched into the promised land, the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. It was an awesome, awesome time for them. Um, but they decided somewhere in that process... They got settled into the promised land and the judges were ruling them. They had all these judges, the whole, our whole book of judges is about that. They had all these judges. They decided they wanted a king because all the other nations have a king. I don't know if you've ever had your children say, well, all the other kids have one. Why can't I have one of those? And you go, hey, that's not for us. We're not going to do that. But I, I remember when we were raising our kids, they would see things in the neighborhood. They go, well, they, all the other kids have one of those. Why can't we have one of those? You know, and and we had to make choices. Well, Israel, very much like that, decided they were going to sort of beg for what the other countries had. First Samuel chapter eight verse four. It looks like this: Samuel, the the judge and one of the rulers of Israel that God had appointed, had given his childrens had gotten old and turned the children over to lead, and they weren't doing a good job. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him. You are now old and your sons are not like you. I like how the elders just speak plain truth right there, don't they? Um, (laughs) Your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Just pause right there. This was the place where godly elders would have said, Let's all go to God. And seek what He wants us to do. That's what godly elders would do. That's what the elders of our church do regularly. We, 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 we go before God and go, how would you have us proceed in this? Um, but these these elders didn't do that. They said, give us a king to judge like all the other nations. The elders' eyes aren't on God's plan. The elders' eyes are on what's happening around them in the world. Samuel, the leader, was displeased with their request, and he went to the Lord for guidance. So he's just going to go tell God, hey, you're never going to believe what these guys want, these crazy elders. And that's when it happens. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So God consoles Samuel. He goes, hey, calm down. It's okay. It's not you they're rejecting, Samuel, as their judge and leader, because your children didn't do such a good job at leading. They're not rejecting you. They've turned from me now. So he consoles them. But in his love, in his love, this is very important scripture in the Old Testament. In his love, God says, Samuel, I want you to go back to them and issue them a very clear warning. So God gives a clear warning to the children of Israel about what they're about to decide. God doesn't want His people to make an uninformed decision. You know, all through this crazy, forever-lasting election cycle we just went through, all the talk show hosts and everybody kept using this term, uninformed voters or, or uh, low-information uh, voters. And there's all these guys that went out on the streets with their microphones. You remember these? They go out on the streets with a microphone they'd ask you know, people, why are you voting for so-and-so? They say, "Well, do you know what are their what are their policies on whatever? What do they believe about this issue?" Go, I I, don't, I just you know voting for that person. They didn't have a clue, right? So God doesn't want us, His children, to be uninformed when it comes to making decisions about leadership. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. He wants us to be clear-minded, clearly informed. So God, in His love, gives this clear warning, and it looks like this in First Samuel eight verse seven. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are—they rejected me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel... Passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for, uh, him for a king. And this is what he says to them. Now, this, is what Samuel, this is the warning from God. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. They're going to be part of the army and they're going to be servants to the king. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. Some will make his weapons and chariots and equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain. Oh, that God would only let our government take a tenth of our grain. He would take a tenth of your grain and your grapes and your harvest. That would be the tax and distributed among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flock, and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you're demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. And that's a good warning. That's God saying, Look, when you want to do this your way, and you want a man to rule over you, it's going to turn bad. And here's how it's going to look. And Samuel just goes on this beautiful rant. You know, he's going to, there's going to be taxes. There's going to be, there's going to be sacrifices you never dreamed you'd have to make for this king. And they're going to cost you even your family now, right? So he's, it's a beautiful picture of God saying, think, think about what you're doing. I mean, I can, I can picture God in heaven saying, all right, present that to them, present that to them as a warning and maybe they'll remember. Maybe. Will they remember when I led them from the slavery of Egypt and they were enslaved by the king of Egypt? Will they remember when I freed them from that and and took them to the promised land? Would the people remember how God uh, provided for their every need as they walked? Remember their sandals didn't wear out in 40 years. Their sandals didn't wear out. Right? Remember, remember that, that he took care of their food. Would they remember that God had protected them from the enemies that would harm them in the wilderness? He, he would, he protected them and performed miracles. Would the people remember? Would his people, that's us, remember that God had protected and provided for them and done miracles on their behalf? Would they remember? So then the election results come in. 1 Samuel 8 verse 19. And Israel chooses man's rule over God's rule. First Samuel 8, verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Pause. <laughs> we want to be like the nations around us. By the way, Israel was special. Very special. Israel was chosen by God to not be like the nations around them. I'm saying to the body of Christ, to the church, the called out ones from the world, we are not to be like those around us. There is to be a difference in us. Israel is saying, listen to what the elders are saying. We don't want, we want to be like everybody else. That's a very bad plan. If that's stuck in your head somewhere, I encourage you to repent of that today. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king. Listen to this. Our king will judge us and he will lead us into battle. That would be Saul, by the way. They're gonna, remember they're gonna eventually, they're gonna pick Saul. God's gonna go fine. And they're gonna pick Saul. Now, at the battle of the Philistines where Goliath for 40 days comes down this hill and demands a champion from the army of Israel to come out and fight him. Who's the king at that time for Israel? Say it. And who's in his tent the whole time? Is he gonna come out and fight for him? Nope. Nope, the king. By the way, Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody. Remember that? Remember the, the, the Bible says Saul was taller than everybody. Now, Goliath was taller than Saul by far, right? But if there was a giant among Israel, it was Saul. If there was one guy on the other side that could at least walk down and you know stand somewhat near Goliath and not look like a shrimp, it was Saul, our king. And they're going, no, our king will fight our battles for us. No, he's not. No, he's not. Not going to happen. He's going to stay in the tents and send your sons and daughters to fight against these enemies. And so that, so they, they literally, so Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. That little phrase sent the people home in the Old Testament is is the remember remember Forrest Gump that really bad awful funny movie uh, remember Forrest Gump when he go and that's all I have to say about that that's the Old Testament version of that's all I have to say about that God's going send them home that's all I have to say about that but here's here's the process I want you to just see the the summary of this process because God gives them what they want. Not a good thing. It sounds great. Well, God gives us what we want. Not a good thing. When he warned you about what you're wanting is not what you need, right? So just in the summary, God loved and blessed his people, freed them from slavery, gave them the promised land and a whole bunch of really cool guidelines and and warnings to protect them. There were rules to live by that were safety rules for the people. They were guardrails to keep them from hurting themselves and hurting each other, to live in harmony and love with each other. But the people asked for a king. So, summary, so God says, I don't think you want that. Let me warn you about that. God warns them, and then God gives them a choice. There's a whole bunch of people when they hear about God in the Bible, like, he's just a cruel, terrible tyrant. You know, I can't believe God would do all that. He's very loving and patient all through this process. And he's warning, and he's saying, please, don't do that. But if you're insistent, I'm not going to control you, you make your choices. And so God gives them a choice and then God let them have what they want. But God's not done loving his people, even though his people, by the way, are driving everything right over the cliff. Right here, they made a choice. There's an election. Do you want God or man to rule you? They said, oh, we want man to rule us. And God's like, oh, now he could have easily said done with you. Then it could have been, you know, had it not been for the rainbow situation. It could have been another time for him to go, "Hey, let's flood it one more time. <laughs> let's just let's just flush this whole deal and start over, you know. Find a hand Samuel and a handful of guys and start over." But God says, "No, nope, I'm going to love. I'm going to love my people. So, and what the human race really needs here is that something no earthly king can do. Please hear that." we are all got all our hopes and we, we put our hope in our presidents and our leaders and our world rulers. But the human race needs something far above that. Far above what earthly rulers and earthly kings can do. There's a book, and uh, Brother Robert, you're going to love the name of this guy that wrote this book. Um, there's a book called To Change the World. And the guy's name is James Davidson Hunter. <laughs> so James Davidson Hunter wrote this book and and he says in there when people live in fractured societies that are all broken up and confused. Everybody wants a political, wants political power because it seems to people that the only power that has coercion with it, in other words, political power can move the masses, can change things. People go into politics because they want to change things, right? And he says, he, it, the whole book is, that's a great thought. It's just not how it really works because it's here that people have to change. It's here and here that people have to change. If you, if you are somehow deluded into thinking that some political change can actually change the way the world is going, um, it's the only form of power that'll make things right, then you're deluded. Now it's not bad if you, you know, those of you that may have been in politics or want to go into politics, that's fine. You know, do it with all your God values right out in front. And do it with faith to prove the testimony of God true. And you can have some impact, but it's not the way to change the entire race of mankind and to turn things around. And as Israel decided as a nation, we want an earthly king, and they voted God out, they're going to get what they want and things are going to go bad. But God still loves us. So He has a plan. He sends His Son. God sends His Son to us because he's not done loving his people for Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 you guys know this verse for unto us a child is born a son is given there's this gift from God and it's his son God says you know what you've rejected me twice so I'm going to give you my son now listen to what it says about Jesus the government's going to rest on his shoulders he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace thought about doing that song today prince of peace His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. Just look at that top line. Wouldn't you like to have a president of all the world that's going to rule like that? He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of angel armies, will make this happen of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. So Israel rejects God from the election and says, no, we want man to lead us. We don't want you. Thanks. Thanks for your help. Appreciate you getting us this far, but we got this now. I don't know if you've ever said that to God. Thanks for getting us this far, but I got it now. I'm helping you. I got this, God. You ever say that to God? I got this, really. Thanks for your help. I got it. That's what Israel's saying. And God says, let me, let me help you along. So he sends his son. Right? And now we have this second disastrous election. And Jesus shows up on earth as a baby in a manger. I'm going to read to you at Christmas time this great opening line that came from a book we gave my daughter Mary for her birthday a week or so ago um, from Ann Voskamp that describes how the a God who the Bible says the heavens cannot contain. The heavens cannot contain him. Descends to the womb of a woman and becomes flesh. Man, that's powerful. God said, you know what? You're not getting this. You're not getting this. I've warned you and warned you, and you're not getting this. You don't want man to rule you. You want me. So let me come down and explain it to you toe to toe. And Jesus is born, and he walks among men. And he lives for three years as a minister in a community where he can bless people and help people, and ultimately they reject him. And the Pharisees, the powerful elders and leaders of Israel, plot behind the scenes, get Judas paid off to give away his secret location, which is the Garden of Gethsemane, and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane at 2 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, and they... They arrest Jesus. 600 to 1,000 Jewish soldiers, not Romans, Jewish soldiers go into the Garden of Gethsemane in the middle of the night and arrest a man who's praying for them. He's praying in that garden so hard that blood comes out of the vessels of His face. And He's praying for them. They arrest Him and they have a fake trial, middle of the night, fake Bad, illegal Jewish trial against him. And ultimately, the first thing in the morning, they take him to the Roman ruler because the Jews don't want to be blamed for Jesus being killed. Now, the Jews arrested him, you know, captured him and took him to Pilate and twisted Pilate's arm politically. I'll tell you that story some other time. Maybe at at Easter this year. But they twisted his arm politically to make Pilate kill Jesus. The Jews actually did all of the dirty work to make it happen. John 18... Jesus is standing before Pilate. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters, and he called Jesus to be brought to him. And now Pilate says, "You got to picture this, right? Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth. That's if, if he if he filled out a job application, you know, in his day. You know, what's your former work? Well, I was a carpenter. You know, grew up as a kid, carpenter kid, and you know, I'm a carpenter." Yeah, pretty good, by the way. Really, I mean, can you imagine the stuff Jesus built as a carpenter? I bet it was straight. <laughs> I bet it was perfect. So here's Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, who's traveled for three years and taught in the temple and healed and blessed people, and and he's now got some wounds on his face where he's been slapped. He's been slapped and beaten by the Jewish Jewish soldiers. He's standing before the governor of his area who who is second in command, really, to all of Rome. These governors rule everything. There's the most powerful guy, the Caesars, right? And then there's Pontius Pilate. And Jesus is standing before this guy with an enormous amount of influence in Rome. He could instantly have an army just kill everybody in the courtyard. He did it several times, by the way. Pilate, Pilate had Jews murdered in masses multiple times in his lifetime. And so he asked Jesus this question, are you the king of the Jews? Now Jesus could say, because he's standing before great authority, great authority. You ever stood in a courtroom under great authority? I did. We cut down some trees here that we shouldn't have cut down. Okay? We, we Our church cut down some trees back in the day, and we had this sign on the road out there that had my name on it, Pastor Stan Givens. So the crazy people of our city, the, the city tree people, I forget, they're some sort of tree commission or whatever they're called, forestry division, they put a citation on the door that I had to show up. I was arrested and showed up at court for these old pine trees we cut down on the front of our property. And I had to stand before a judge. By the way, my faithful board decided we didn't need a lawyer. I begged. Shouldn't we have a lawyer there? Because the tree people have a lawyer. And the guy that we paid to cut the trees, he has a lawyer. Stan doesn't have a lawyer. Okay, So I'm just standing there staring at the judge trying to answer questions. Of course, you know, my faithful Larry and Jerry who were on the board of the time, they're faithfully standing at the very back door. They're at the, I mean, the door to the courtrooms here and they're leaning against the door just in case it goes bad. They're out. Like, dude, you know, our pastor has a new jail ministry. That's awesome. Good for him, right? So, But here's Jesus before, I was standing before him. I was trembling. I mean, I'm going, oh, Lord, how am I going to? You know, we didn't mean to cut down your trees kind of thing. What am I going to say? Here's Jesus standing before somebody. Way more power than some little circuit judge in Mobile. And, and Pilate asks him a question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus goes, well, let me ask you a question. Did you get that on your own? Somebody tell you that. You know what Jesus is doing? He's going, buddy, there's no authority here but me. I don't know if you know this, but I know where you got that question. I know you had a conversation with a bunch of powerful Jews that misled you, and you're now trying some. You're going to try me for treason, which is what they're trying to get you to do. I mean, Jesus literally put that in the right perspective, just like that, and he didn't yield to Pilate at all. And so Pilate says, um, "Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for a trial." Why are they doing that? What have you done? Now, you know, I told you this before, five times Pilate tries to release Jesus. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters, called for Jesus to be brought in, and Jesus answered and, oh, you skipped one, didn't you? Pilate went back into headquarters, called for Jesus to be brought in, said, are you the king of the Jews? Oh, keep going. What have you done? Go. There you go. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Once again, he's looking at Pilate going, I don't know if you think you're in charge here. Lovingly, he's saying, my, my kingdom doesn't work on this level, buddy. You know, you just keep running the little mouse wheel you're on. This is not my kingdom. Not my thing. Okay? And, and it's it's going to even get stronger. But I want you to see that Jesus declares himself, he he puts himself in position as a ruler with a ruler because he, he actually asks questions to the guy in charge to, to identify what, what's there. He doesn't even answer Pilate. There's another verse I don't think is going to show up here. John 19, 9, if you're in your Bibles, John 19, verse 9. Pilate says, well, where do you come from? He asked Jesus. Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus gets quiet now. It's important that Jesus gets in the, stays in the, in the will of God. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate says? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Listen to this word. Don't you realize, Pilate, don't you realize I have power? He's talking to the one whose words make universes. To the one who knows everything about everybody. Jesus knows where Pilate's power starts and ends. Jesus watched Pilate get appointed in his early days into things that got him into that position. Jesus has watched him all his life because he's the sovereign God of all. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's looking at Pilate and Pilate's going, don't you know I have power? And, and instead of Jesus going, well, yeah, I know you have a lot of power, so please be, patient, be, be merciful to me, O great powerful one. That's not what he says. He literally says, listen to this, John John 19, verse 11, Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. That would be my dad, by the way, my heavenly father gave you your power. No power exists in you apart from us, buddy. None. That's serious. He's standing there about to be crucified, and he says, the power doesn't come from you. The only power you ever had was from us. And it's for this moment, by the way. There's a historical thing that's about to happen that's going to change the world that's far above what earthly people need. It's, it's what earthly people can do. It's what only God can do for you. Therefore, the one who handed you over to me, Jesus says, he's guilty of greater sin. That'd be the, the Jewish people. So Pilate decides that one way to release Jesus, five times he tries to release Jesus because he, he says, I find no fault in him. Pilate decides one way to release him is to allow there to be this election between Jesus and this hardened, terrible, hated criminal named Barabbas. Okay, So he brings out Barabbas. And Barabbas is a a guy who's literally fought against Rome. He's, He's made a terrible name for himself as an insurgent who hates Rome. And he's about to be killed and executed as well. And he should be on one of the crosses that's going to be on the hillside in a little while. And so the people of Israel, God's chosen people in the courtyard of Pilate are about to have an election. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Who do you want? And you know the election results. In John 18, verse 39. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at this time of the Passover. you want me to release the king of the Jews... And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Would the people remember Jesus had traveled through their countryside healing them, feeding them, teaching them great truths? Would he remember the forgiveness that he showed people that were broken and damaged and sin-filled? Would they remember the kindness that He showed the children when He welcomed them in and told them stories? Would would they remember that He continually just loved and asked them to continue to love people? And that He said the kingdom of God is here. It's here in your heart. That that's where we're going to change people. Would they remember any of that? No. They just looked at Jesus and said, we don't want Him. We want Barabbas. And they rejected Jesus Second most disastrous election in the Bible, by the way. In the Old Testament, they rejected God. And God sent His Son. And in the New Testament, we reject Jesus. And for all of us who for years lived without Jesus in our hearts, we lived a life of rejecting Him. Saying, don't want it, don't want it. I got this. Right? So we're not any better. And probably were we in that crowd, we would do exactly the same deal. Exactly the same deal. But God's not done loving His people. Because right now, if, if you were God, you'd go, okay, I loved you all I could in the Old Testament. I mean, I just bathed you and soaked you in milk and honey and loving stuff. And you just rejected me hard. Even though I warned and warned and warned you. Then I sent my only Son and you crucified Him. You crucified Him on the cross. And Paul says it this way but God being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy and grace and love. He loved us even in our sins. Remember Romans chapter 5? For while we were yet sinners, rejecting God, Christ demonstrated His love for us. That's the kind of love that God has for us. So for the second time, we've rejected Jesus. But God is rich in mercy. He loves us even in our sins. And even when we reject Him, I'd love for you to turn and mark this passage in your Bible. It's one of the strongest passages in the Bible about Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians 2 and verse 5. In the theology world, this is called the kenosis passage. To my interns that are trying to get through their theology so we can... Ordain them soon. The kenosis passage, Paul says, you must have this same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave himself, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. The one who the heavens cannot contain from the highest place came to the lowest place on earth and became born as a human being. When He appeared in human form, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and He died a criminal's death on the cross. Now if you're marking things in your Bible, you want to underline this next sentence. Therefore, God elevated Him to the place of highest honor and gave Him a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, every tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, Jesus is in this special election by God. God's going, guys, you don't understand how to do this, so let me explain it to you. He is the highest of high. I'm going to elect Him as the highest power of all. There is no equal authority or power with my son Jesus. That's a special election right there. When God, God appointed him, he said, I'm going to use your rejection and, and the crucifixion to show you the greatest love ever. And by that, I'm going to exalt him to this highest place. How high, how strong is that election by God to put Jesus in that place? Let me tell you how strong it is. Just so it's clear in your head how strong this is. How high, He says He's going to give Him the highest place. Now, how high is it that at the name of Jesus, when you confess Him as Lord and Savior with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is that Lord, that He is there, when you confess and believe that, you are set free from all of your sins And you have an eternal life in heaven with Him. You're in His family. That's how high God exalted Jesus. He goes, all you gotta do is believe with your heart and say with your mouth that He is my Lord and Savior. I accept Him as the payment of my sins. All my sins are now, all my sins are now washed away and I have Jesus as my Lord. That's how high. That's how high. There's no greater authority. There's no greater power. There's no greater entity. There's no other God but Jesus. And He has all of that power. There's no power like Him. There's no power even close. And Dr. Lockridge says, you can't impeach Him and He's not going to resign. You can't impeach Him and He's not going to resign. I love that, by the way. So let me conclude with two truths. Number one, God exalted Jesus Christ to the highest place when we rejected Him to save lost people. If you don't know Christ your Lord and Savior today, He died on the cross to save you from your sins even though He was rejected by you. By all of us. God used that moment to say, here's a way for you to get saved. And if you've never trusted Christ, your Lord and Savior, today should be your day of salvation. You should turn to God and and say, God, I put you in the highest place. I accept the death of your Son as sacrifice for my sins, and I place you in the highest priority and place of my life. Right? Most of you here today, I'm looking around the room, I almost know everybody here personally. Most of you here today know Jesus personally already. You've done that. So let me tell you the second conclusion I want you to come to. You know that every morning when you wake up, you get a chance to re-elect him, because your flesh struggles, struggles when you wake up in the morning. Your flesh wrestles with, your flesh wrestles with God, and some days you want to be in charge, versus you want him to be in charge. Amen. Am I singing to the choir here? Right. Some days you want to make the choices for you and you don't want him to make them. That's election day. And that's like the Old Testament bad one and the New Testament bad one. Don't do that. When you wake up tomorrow morning and head into work, you need to have already, when you started your day, to elect Jesus as the Lord and ruler and priority of your life. I will do all things surrendered to you. You are the highest power and authority. You love me so much you died on the cross for me, so I will live for you, not for myself. Even when I get to work and my boss loses his ever-loving mind, and yells and screams and freaks out over something that's not that big of a deal, even when I get to work and there's crazy people there that have told gossip or rumors or stupid stuff about me, even when I'm having conflicts in my family, even when I'm having doubts about all kinds of people loving, all the stuff that can happen to stir your day into disaster, He still is the highest power and authority and if you will place Him there, He will guide you through all that stuff. You appoint yourself as king, you won't even show up to your own battles. Just like Saul. You appoint yourself as king, you don't even show up to your own battles. You back out of all that stuff. You don't face the enemy and you don't you don't wrestle with the spiritual things. You get in trouble and the enemy wins. We have to appoint Him as king every day. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. The musicians are going to come. We're going to sing one concluding song. And while they're doing that, I want to just say to you, my life, personally, my life is not grounded in the success or progress of the American culture. My life is not tied to the American culture. My life is influenced some by this culture, but my grounding, my security is not in America, but it's in God. I'm asking you to make that same choice today. Today, I'm asking you Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you say that I hear these words and I want to act on them? Jesus says it this way. Anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The Rains fell and floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house but it didn't fall for it had been founded on the rock. But if you hear these words and do not act on them, you're the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Father, I pray. I pray for my church family, God. Allow us to stand solidly on the rock. I love this country, but it is not going to solve the broken-hearted, sinful trials of mankind. You alone The highest of all authority and power can do that. So we surrender to you and ask you to help us live in this culture but not of this world. And to help us live kingdom values, to love our neighbors, to speak the gospel to our friends and neighbors, to not be shy about telling people that you loved us enough to die for us. And we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray our our church family would have divine appointments this week.